Now let's turn to page 789, 789, hallelujah for the cross, amen, 789, the cross is handed fast, hallelujah, hallelujah,
yes to one more song, 454, 454, follow on. <laughs> Savior, I would go where the flows are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere He leads me, I would follow, follow on, walking in the footsteps till the surround be one. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. I will follow on. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus everywhere He leads me. I will Savior, I would go where the storms are sweeping and the dark waters flow. With his hand to lead me, I will never, never fear. Danger cannot frighten me if my Lord is near. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. Down in the valley or upon the mountain steep, close beside my Savior, I will never keep. He will lead me safely in the path that he has trod, up to where they gather on the hills of God. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. grab the prayer list. I thought they got distributed. Anyone would like a prayer list there, we can pass those out. Uh, we had 82 this morning, three first-time visitors, a group from Rockford, Illinois. I counted in that group. Praise the Lord for that. Um, we uh, ask you to pray for John and Olga's wedding, uh, their marriage ceremony yesterday, and uh, there wasn't a lot of time to get things prepared, but it went exceptionally well. And so praise the Lord for that. And then uh, praise the Lord. Brother Lewis is coming uh, this week and uh, be looking forward to him preaching to us uh, Thursday through uh, Sunday of this coming week. So uh, any other things to add to the praise list? And. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That doesn't happen often. Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord for a good Samaritan. I lost the Bible once and uh, never found it. Not even a trace of it. But uh, anyway, praise the Lord. All right, any other praises? Uh, Ted? Amen. All right. Sharon. Hmm? 
Oh, yes. Oh, amen. Amen. Crown said he thanks the Lord very weakly for healing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He is good. And uh, just to, uh, with everything going on, I have not been able to give a full accounting to you of all the building, the expenses of the renovation and things, but uh, we just uh, paid a very huge bill and didn't even have to go into the building fund to do so. was able to pay it right out of the general offering, so praise the Lord for that. And so we're moving, moving in the right direction. We're coming towards the end. Uh, it's going to take several months to finish up, but uh, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks we'll have... Uh, going to kind of be like the operation in Iraq. We're going to cease major construction, but it's going to be months and months of little things uh, that we're going to have to do deal with. But uh, praise the Lord, things are moving in the right direction. All right, there's no one else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work uh, that you have done, the testimonies you have given, peace in the midst of struggle and, and upheaval with Ted's work. We thank you that he's able to give a testimony. He still is trusting in you and not in the things he sees. Lord, we thank you for the wedding yesterday. We thank you for the service this morning. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have one with another. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your strength. And Lord, we thank you uh, for doing special things like returning uh, the Bible to Anne. And Lord, we, if we just open our eyes, we could see how many little things you do every day for us. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for the strength to be assembled here tonight. And Lord, we praise your name that we can always trust you and your word in any situation we find ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, let's stand and turn to 418. 418, faith is the victory. Amen. 418. Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil their glowing skies against the foe in veils below let all our strength faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world faith is the victory faith is the victory Shouts of try and try. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Let's sing it. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Each head with truth all girt about The earth shall tremble neath our tread And echo with our shout Faith. 
Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. And uh, we're just going to read a story out of the Bible tonight. And I can't say that it is the uh, most pleasant story in the Bible. It, it most certainly is not. But uh, I believe it has some application for you and I, and, and uh, we um, look here in um, second, let's start in Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 24. It says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And uh, we'll stop right there and just kind of set the context here. There was no food in the city. Uh, try to give you an idea you could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver and to buy a donkey's head. That didn't count the rest of them. Just the head was 80 pieces of silver. Now, we can go back around the era of the Civil War. There were still slaves being sold uh, in that neighborhood. It was between three and $5,000 and $1861. So multiply that by two and a half times, how'd you like to pay $25,000 for a donkey's head to make soup with? So you'd be pretty hungry, hmm? And uh, the, the idea was there, there was just no food in the city at all. Even people had already resorted to cannibalism, and we're not going to read that story tonight because that's not the main goal of what we're trying to get at. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things going on here. And on top of this, the uh, verse 31, uh, it says uh, that the king is speaking here, the king of Samaria. Then he said, God, do so to me, do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king set a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head? Look when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold him fast at the door. 
is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, just to set the, the story here, it's interesting that when really bad things happen, who's the first one that gets blamed? God is, isn't it? Everybody gets upset at God. And they all kind of want, they all want to go and they want to blame somebody. And so the king, he's finally had it. And he says, I'm not going to wait on God anymore. Now, I just have a question for you. The entire Syrian army is camped the whole way around Samaria. They have cut off everything coming into Samaria to the point to where there is no food in the city at all. They can't go out and get, pray tell, where is the king going? What in the world does he think he's going to accomplish by murdering Elisha? Hmm? I mean, sinful people do stupid stuff, amen? I mean, there's just no way to get around it. I mean, sin is stupid. It really is. It destroys. It makes you do things that make no sense at all. And, and we have this picture of this city of Samaria. It is full of death. The city is dying. And there is one thing uh, that, uh, oh, I don't know. How many of you remember that absolutely, there's just no word in the English vocabulary that explains that article, talked about people starving to death, and it really, oh, it was when Terry Schiavo was dying, that starvation was not so bad a death. Remember those articles in the newspaper? Uh, those are written by people who had no idea what they were talking about. You read the stories of the men and women who were put in the concentration camps and slowly starved to death by the Germans. You, you read their stories. And they have a little different view on starvation than the New York Times did. And um, it is one of the most horrible deaths to die because you die just a little bit every day. And it reduces you. Uh, I, if somebody wants to borrow the book, it's, it's not pleasant reading. It was written, it was left here by the synagogue. It's called Night by Ellie Wiesel. He was a 14-year-old boy when he was picked up by the Nazis he and his father were put in the concentration camps, and he records how he uh, he literally was able to go back and reconstruct, and, and he puts in this book how that he was reduced to just, just above an animal in instinct and behavior by the torture and the things that were going on in the concentration camps. And uh, I'll tell you, it's a haunting book. And uh, he, he wrote it to be that way. And here we have these people starving in the city. The king is coming, and he's going to solve all the problems by chopping Elisha's head off, right? No. Now look at verse six, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Now here we're going to get into our story in just a few minutes. We're just trying to set everything going on here. It says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time 
shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now that is, hey, everything's going to be normal. That'd be like saying tomorrow at this time, gas is going to be $1.25 a gallon. You say, that's absurd. That can't be. We, we, we just, it, it doesn't make sense. Look at verse 2. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned, that means he was his number two man, number three man in the kingdom, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thy eyes, but shall not eat thereof. We need to remember this guy. We'll come back and pick him up in a little bit. Now we get to the point to where we're talking about. There were four lepers, four leprous men, at the entering in of the gate. Now, these are the guys we want to spend most of our time on, are these four leprous men. They were, uh, how shall we say, of all men, most unfortunate. Number one, they had the sentence of death in their own lives. They were dying men. They had leprosy. It was only going to be a matter of time until the disease that, was literally consuming their body, would kill them, or the infection would set in, everything else. They were in pretty bad shape, but they were in the entering in of the gate. That meant the Syrian army was here. The gate was here. Now, the gates of the cities in those days were, that's where the king did his business. So, I mean, it would, it would that was like a, a house of parliament or something today. So, I mean, there was some room in the entering in of the gate of the city where the king would have his court and all these things would go on in, in better times. So, I mean, they had a little bit of room, but there was no food in the city. How much food do you think these four leprous men had with them? Even less. I mean, they were really in trouble. Do you think anybody in the city was going to give food to the leprous men outside? Uh do you think they had any chance of going and knocking on the tent of the first Syrian soldier they found and said, would you mind feeding us? We're the enemy. Uh, I mean, these guys were in pretty bad shape. And, and so they are and there, it says, and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine that is, is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. They didn't have anything to live for. They didn't have anything worth dying for. They said, let's just get it over with and figure out what's going on. You ever felt like that? Uh, let's keep moving. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. 
And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent, did eat and drink, and carried ten silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent, and carried tents also, and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Now let's skip down to verse uh, 16. It says, And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate and and the people trode upon him in the gate and he died as the man of God had said who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Now, here's our story. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians these stories are put in here for ensamples or pictures for us to live. Now, has anybody figured out where we come into the story yet? How about the four lepers? Does that not picture the Christian today? We have the host of the devil attacking the world in which we live. And we have the world in which we live full of sin and full of death and full of debauchery. And where are we? We're the monkey in the middle, as they used to say. We are the people in between the world and the forces of the devil. Now, when you got saved, what happened? God gave you the greatest treasure in all the world. He gave you life, amen? The food that was in the tents of the Syrians was life. What was in the city? Death. And starvation. They had to go and tell the king to get the people to come out and get the food so that they could live. Do you see the picture? Now, what is our job? We have to go tell the people living in the world the message of life, and if they are willing to come out and get the life from Jesus Christ, that he got by vanquishing the forces of the devil, amen, then we can have eternal life. So we've got a neat little picture here if we look at it. And we've got a great illustration of who and what we are and what our job is in this world in which we live. Sometimes we as Christians get the mistaken idea that we have something to lose by serving God. If we could only open our eyes and see who we are and what we really are, we would find out that those four lepers in the gate really do fit us. What do we have to lose by living in this world? I mean, if we go back into the city and try to, into the world and try to be a part of what's going on there, we're going to destroy the lives that God has given us. 
like that fellow in Corinthians. They said, we'll deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He didn't lose his salvation, but he lost everything else, didn't he? We, that's not an option for us. There is nothing in the world that is going to help you live for God. There is nothing there that's going to be good for you. There's nothing over there that is going to, to strengthen you or do anything at all to benefit you in this life. All that's in the world, the love of the flesh, I mean, the. let me read it. My, my brain is not working real well here. I'll get there sooner or later. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let me read you a verse. Paul was speaking to the Corinthians. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth from the dead. Now that describes the life of the Christian, amen? We have the sentence of death in ourselves. In fact, you and I are waiting for death. There, there is some anticipation in a good sense as the Christian, when we pass from this life into the next, we are going to be rid of this old sin nature that hounds us everywhere we go. There is one problem with your sin nature. You can't get away from you. Uh, you can run anywhere you want to run, but the only problem is you take you with you wherever you go. Uh, the, when, when we're dealing with people who have addictions and things and we try to help people pass these things, say, now listen, we can sign you up for a rehab center. Now, here's the only problem is you go into this rehab center and everybody there is going to be nice to you because that's what their job is. And they're going to protect you. They don't allow drug dealers into the rehab center to sell drugs. And, and by the way, you won't have any money in the rehab center even if they were selling them to buy them because they take everything away from you and you can't do it even if the guy waved it in front of you, you don't have the means to get it. But as soon as you get home, guess what? You get money, you meet the drug dealer on the corner, and you usually start doing exactly what you were doing before you went into the rehab. If you can't get victory over the sin where you live, you're not going to have victory over the sin in any special little environment around you You've got to win the battles where you live. That's the only way you win. The monks of the Middle Ages thought that they would overcome sin if they moved into a castle with thick walls so that no temptation could get into the monastery and tempt them to sin. Does anybody know the history of monasticism in the Middle Ages? Please don't study it. It is a lesson in human debauchery and wickedness. Because those monks, once they got inside the castle, found out that there was as much temptation inside the castle as there was outside. You know why? Because they were there. 
that temptation, that love of the world comes from the inside. They were drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And in many cases, what went on in the monastery was far worse than what went on in the world because not even the wicked people in the world could watch what was going on in the monastery and they thought they were getting away with it. It is absolutely horrible. We live in a wicked world. Amen. We have the forces of the devil. And by the way, if you read the newspaper, who's it look like's winning? Does it look like Jesus is winning? Now, everything we hear, I mean, the devil is taking over, isn't he? I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, I'm a pessimistic optimist. You say, how in the world can you be a pessimistic optimist? Well, the definition of a pessimist is you look both ways before crossing a one-way street. And uh, you have to do that in New York City if you want to stay alive, all right? Because there's always somebody coming the wrong way down the street. Uh, you, you just don't want to do that. I mean, I know things are going to get worse, but I'm still encouraged. See, that's how I'm a pessimistic optimist. What's the Bible say? Things are going to wax worse and worse. Men deceiving and being deceived. Boy, we're seeing that fulfilled every day. Kind of sounds like the four lepers, doesn't it? You know, you're not going to get desperate enough to take the message to the people who need it until you come to the point that the four lepers came to. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. What do you have to lose by giving the gospel to the world in which you live? Have you ever thought about that? How many of you have received a good cussing for passing out gospel tracts? Got a couple of us here. Has anyone ever been uh, physically abused? I mean, you actually had bruises and broken bones when you were done. I, I had a man put a baseball bat in my face one time and threatened to do all kinds of things to me. And um, praise God, I didn't do what I wanted to do. I wanted to take the baseball bat off of him and show him what it was for, but I didn't. And uh, But... Uh, that's the flesh. I stood there very patiently and very still, and I just let him go and let him go. And, and finally, he got tired and walked in the house and went away. It was ridiculous. But that's the world we live in. By the time it was all done, I really felt sorry for the guy because in order for him to do that, he had to be living an incredibly horrible life. If you want to know what the world's doing, just listen to what they accuse you of. That's what they're doing. What do they accuse us Christian, Bible-believing Christian? They accuse us of being mind-numb robots. How can you be more mind-numb robot than vote for Hillary Clinton? Oops, excuse me. Just a little politics there. But, I mean, how could you be more of a mind-numb robot than to vote for that thing that we call a senator? Can you think of that? Can you think of anything more senseless than that? I mean, stop and look at what's going on around us. They are the mind-numb robots. Of course, 
it's green on this side and orange on this side for one, and it's orange on this side and green on this side for the other. But I'll tell you what, it's still mind-numb robots, isn't it? I mean, they go out and they do dumb, they get drunk every weekend, right? That's the thing you're supposed to do is go out and get drunk. Now, I've never been drunk, praise God. But I've watched enough people recovering from it to know that that's really dumb. Uh, you don't know what you're doing when you're drunk. When you wake up, you say, uh, uh, remember old Joe. Does anybody remember old Joe's story? That he knew how much fun he had over the weekend by how sick he was on Monday morning when he sluggered in to work at 6 a.m. to open up the gas station. I'll tell you what, Joe must have had an awful lot of fun because it took him until Tuesday to recover from what he did. But the thing was, I said, well, what did you do? He says, I don't remember, but it must have been fun because I feel awful today. I just feel awful. Now, you tell me who is stupid, amen? We've got to get as desperate as these lepers did. We're not going to lose anything by taking the gospel to the world in which we live. Amen? And God will always provide for us. It's really interesting how he provided food for the city of Samaria. He took all the food that the Syrian army had and gave it to the people who were willing to come out. You know, God is always spoiling the wicked to give the truth to those who want it. Amen. Now here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be done tonight. They said, we do not well. How many people have gotten saved and realized all the riches of eternal life in Jesus Christ and begin to store it up for themselves? says, we do not well. God did not give us salvation so that we can go to heaven in a padded Pullman car, luxury train car from the 1800s, and enjoy all of those wonderful things and let the world go to hell around us. Matthew 6, verse 20 says, Lay not up, but lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I'm sorry. Let me read it right. Let me get my glasses out. I printed it in big print, but I'll still need them here. It says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's the key. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The greatest treasure you can have is to lead a soul to Christ. Amen. The greatest treasure that you can have is to take somebody to heaven with you, uh, is to make sure that somebody has the gospel. What we have is we have a city full of dead and dying people. We have four lepers who have the sentence of death in themselves, just like the Apostle Paul said, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. They had nothing to lose, everything to gain. Let me tell you something. You have nothing to lose by giving the gospel, only everything to gain by giving the gospel. 
And if you want to treasure up what God has given for yourself, you better stop and check what kind of salvation you have because the kind that God gives, you can't keep to yourself. you got to share with everybody else. Amen? And that's the treasure that God lays up, and that's the only answer. Now, we've got one guy hanging that we said we were going to touch on. That was the Lord on whose hand the king leaned. Now, what that meant was uh, he just went around with the king wherever the king went, and, and, and the king would use him for a walking stick or whatever. He just kind of leaned on this man, and, and this man was there to help him remember all of his things. And we call them, uh, uh, um, what is it, executive assistants today. Uh, or a cabinet member in the White House. That's the way this guy was. And he said, it can't be done. It's impossible. Now, the prophet had a word for him. He said, you're going to see it, but you're not going to eat of it. And the king said, when they checked everything out, he said, you go open the gates. It says, and the people trod him down, trying to get out to the food where it was, and he died. He is the perfect picture of the false religionist, is he not? They know everything. They have all the answers. And they're going to make things work. But I'll tell you, when it comes to getting life, they only get in the way, don't they? They only hinder the process. The world is full of false religionists. How many proud, arrogant, whatever you want to call them, people on the radio and on the television trying to tell you everything they know and, and, uh, and everything about God, and they'll explain all the great mysteries. You know, you see, what is it, Sister Deborah up here, she'll explain all the mysteries of the ancient universe to you. Uh, she's some tarot card reader up there. Don't believe it, all right? Uh, she's like the guy in the gate. She is only going to get in your way and hinder you from serving Christ. God does not use the people who know things. He, uses, he used the four lepers who were dying. I think it was Bill Dow, president of the college I went to, said, he says, you'll learn how to preach when you realize you are a dying preacher, preaching to dying souls. A lot of truth in that statement. And that's where we live. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us tonight. We ask you to make us a little more like the lepers in this story. We ask you to make us willing to go out and to give your message to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just give you an opportunity if you need, would like to come and spend a few moments at the altar.